0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: I am presenting a series of broadcasts on the subject of the will of God, and this program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now in the previous broadcast, I was describing a very important paradigm shift a very important shift in thinking in terms of the will of God. In most cases, people are thinking about the will of God as what does he want me to do? What is his desire for me in face of or in light of All of the choices that I have presented before me at this time. Does he want me to go and live in this place or live in that place? Does he want me to have this type of job or that type of job? Does he want me to work for this company or for a different company? Does he want me to marry one person or not marry this person? Perhaps remain single? These are the kinds of questions that many people are struggling with when it comes to the subject of the will of God. But what I was explaining in the previous broadcast is that there is a completely different way that you can perceive and understand the will of God, and this was described very well in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. That is a description not of what he desires for us, but a description of what he has already given to us, what he has already made available for us to make use of in our daily life as we go out and interact with the world that we are exposed to. This is a completely different way of thinking about the will of God. In this context, it is a description of an inheritance that we have received as a result of His death. Reading in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 15 through 17, it says, And for this reason, He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. That's referring to a will, a will that describes an inheritance that a person would receive in the event that someone dies. And in this context, the Lord has described what he has given to us already as a result of his death. For those who have been born again of the Spirit of God, who are now children of God, we are inheritors of God, and we have received an inheritance from Him. That is a completely different way of considering the will of God as we consider the will of God in our lives or want to know what the will of God is in our lives This completely changes many people's lives when they consider what they have already received because many Christians are consumed with trying to figure out or trying to find what they hope they can obtain, and yet in doing so, in most cases, they tend to ignore what they have already received. And this is a significant problem that we do see in Christianity today. In seeing this, many people are consumed with things that they should not be consumed with, and they are devoting their time their lives and their efforts to things that the Lord really has nothing to do with at all. And in that way, they will be distracted from their true relationship that the Lord has established for them to be with them. And in that sense, they will have a very difficult time maturing in their faith because of their being consumed with things that the Lord just simply is not involved in or not participating in just because he's already given them everything that they need for life and godliness. There are several passages in the scriptures that hint at this, or at least describe this in certain contexts. For example, if you were to go through the scriptures and look for the word inheritance, it can present an awful lot about the revelation of this concept of the will of God. Let me give you a simple example. Consider Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. In these verses we see the will of God and His inheritance for us described within these passages beginning in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul wrote, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You see, you have the combination between verse 9 and verse 12, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and then in verse twelve, so that you may be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, there is a combination there that describes the concept very well, something that we would hope to pursue, that we would grow in our understanding of this is something that Paul was encouraging the Colossians to consider. The idea of an inheritance that you have received as a result of his death as has been described and given as the will or the testament of our God. The subject of inheritance is a very important subject when looking into the scriptures. The subject of inheritance is a foreshadowing of this reality that we now live in today in our life in Christ. When you consider the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was actually described in that context. It was described as an inheritance that was going to be given to the people of Israel, to the children of Israel, as a result of their choosing to abide in their God, to be identified with their God, to be obedient to their god to the commandments that he had given through Moses this was the establishment of the nation of Israel the very identity of the nation of Israel especially when they were given the land of Israel when they were given that all of this is described and defined on the basis of an inheritance if you were to go through the scriptures under the context of inheritance, you will see this in many places. Consider Numbers chapter 26 verses 53 to 56. This is just one example found in Numbers beginning in chapter 26 verse 53. To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. Okay, so the land itself was given to the people. And this is described as an inheritance that was given to them And to be divided among the eleven tribes, eleven of the twelve, the twelfth tribe, the Levitical tribe, the Levitical priesthood, which was the people of the Levitical tribe, they did not receive any land. Their inheritance was the tithe that would come from the people working the land, the other tribes working the land. They did not have an inheritance in context of the land. They had an inheritance with regards to their role in maintaining the governmental, religious, and societal infrastructure in accordance with the law that God gave through Moses to the people of Israel. In order to enforce that and in order to ensure that it was done properly, the Levitical tribe was selected to be the tribe to enact those laws, enforce those laws, and be the people who would oversee the rest of the people in that context. But of course, they could only exist if the other people would give them the tithes, a tenth of their produce of what they produced through their land that was given to them. You see, land is very important, was very important back then, and is important even to this day. Without land, it is very difficult for people to survive. It can be very challenging. You see, without land, you may not have a place to be. If you have ownership of property, you have a place that you can exist, that you don't have to worry about people coming along and telling you to get off their land. You have a place where you can legitimately be, live, be at peace, hopefully, and you would have a place to store those things that you would need in order to survive. We need food, and we need shelter as well. We need water. There are things that we need in order to sustain life, and land provides you with a place that you can store these things. And so land is necessary to have a place to exist. It's necessary to have a place to store those things that you need to sustain your life to have a dwelling place in order to escape the elements of the world that we can be exposed to, the wind and the rain and the snow and the cold and the heat, those things that could definitely take away our lives if we're not careful or if we are exposed to the elements to the extent that we're not able to withstand them. And so these are very important issues. But the other issue is is that all wealth is fundamentally derived from the land. If you want gold, you have to mine it. And so you need land to mine it from. The same thing with silver or steel, iron. In order to have metals of any kind, you have to mine those kinds of metals. Copper and tin, these things come from the land. What happens if you want to have food to eat? You have to grow the food. It has to be grown. It has to be produced. If you're going to have grain, then you need a field in order to plant the seed and you have to harvest the grain. If you're going to have livestock, then you need land in order to have the livestock on to feed the livestock. It's necessary to have the land. If you're going to have a table made out of wood, for example, then you have to have a tree in order to harvest the wood from the tree and mill it and then work it and craft it into the table that you need. All things, all wealth comes from the land. And so land is very important and is the source of the things that we have in life. Many people don't consider that in the kind of society that we have today, but it does have significant value. And so the land was given to the people of Israel as an inheritance. That's how it was described, and that gave them the ability to have a place to exist, a place to sustain themselves, and a place to develop wealth, to develop a society. Now this doesn't always happen for everyone. In many cases, people experience failure and loss, and when they do, they may lose their land, they may lose their home. This is something that does happen quite often, even to this day in the culture and in the society that we live in right now. Back then, they struggled with that also. If for some reason they failed to produce what they needed in order to survive, then they would have to make other decisions. They may perhaps have to sell their land. And in doing so... When this happens, what will take place quite often in societies, in cultures, is that land begins to get transferred to other people, and then it becomes very difficult for those people who sold their land to find a way to recover it. They may not be able to work hard enough, fast enough, in order to reacquire the land that they had to sell previously, just in order to survive. And so when this happens, it's very easy to see that over time, land can be owned by only a select few or a select group of families. And this is what has happened in many cultures, in many societies over the centuries, where people have found themselves living under systems of landowners or under lords and vassals, those kinds of hierarchical structures in terms of classifications or classes by which people live. And this still exists to this day. There are many cultures, there are many countries that function on this basis where people live in societies that have classifications of people, classes of people. You have lower, middle, upper classes. In most cases, you only have lower and upper classes. And they are distinguished by who has ownership of the property, who has ownership of the land. That is a distinguishing characteristic. And when this happens, then it becomes very difficult for those who are in lower classes to achieve or rise up to a higher class because they don't have the means of producing wealth like those who are in the upper class do. This is a significant issue, and many decisions are made about who's going to marry who, or who's going to go to what schools, or who's going to enter into what type of employment, or other types of employment. These are significant concerns that many people deal with when considering how they're going to interact in the society that they are living in, and it often comes to the subject of land. And so when this happens, many people can find themselves being oppressed. In order to compensate for this, in order to reconcile this, the Lord provided what's referred to as the law of Jubilee, or the year of Jubilee, which would happen every 50 years. This is described in many places in the scriptures, for example, in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 10 through 17. That is Leviticus chapter 25, verses 10 through 17. I won't be reading that at this time, but that's just one example that describes the law of Jubilee, that every 50 years, all land would be returned back to its original owner or to the family that originally owned it. There would be an opportunity for everyone to then once again return to their land, have ownership of their property, and so that they could once again have an opportunity to develop wealth, to redevelop their lifestyle, to recover from the failures and the losses that they experienced previously. This is a very important thing, and it was very well described in this passage in scriptures. For example, in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 17, the Lord said, Therefore you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. That's in context of the restoration of the land back to its original owners. Otherwise, the way that society decays is it would lead a person or lead people to oppress someone else because of the transfer of ownership that would eventually happen. So this was resolved through the year of Jubilee, but this is very important to see, and that is that the land was given as an inheritance, and this is the predominant concept of the Old Covenant. The predominant focus of the Old Covenant was not just the giving of the law, but it was the giving of land, it was the giving of a place for people to reside, for people to exist. To have water from wells that they did not dig, to be able to eat from vineyards that they did not plant. That was a primary focus of the Old Covenant that in most cases people are missing, that in most cases people ignore, and yet it is a vital critical component of the Old Covenant, especially as it is a foreshadowing of the inheritance that we have received in the New Covenant, a very important issue. Let me follow through with that, and that is that as you consider what we are able to acquire from the land, we are able to acquire many things. We are able to have a place to be, we can derive wealth, we can store that wealth. All of this stuff, however, has to do with the issues and concerns of the flesh, That's important to understand. This is the most important concept that I want you to see in this broadcast, is that the Old Covenant had to do with the blessings of the flesh. If you were to continue to read into Deuteronomy chapter 28, especially verses 1 through 13 and many of the verses following, you will then see the blessing or the promise, those things that the nation of Israel was being promised as a result of their living in accordance with the Old Covenant. It's well described there in this chapter. For example, blessed shall you be in the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds and cattle and flocks, your basket and your kneading bowl. Your enemies will be defeated before you. You will lend and not borrow. There are many blessings that are given there, and if you were to look at the curses that follow... For a person's disobedience and reverse those as well, then you can see that mildew and mold would not overtake you and your children would not be consumed by wild animals and and they would never be sold into slavery and you would not be sold into slavery. These are the kinds of things that were promised as a result of the engagement of the nation of Israel with their God in terms of the old covenant. It was about the blessings of the flesh, and these blessings were possible because of their possession of the inheritance that they received as a result of the covenant that God engaged with them in terms of the old covenant of the nation of Israel between their God. This is important to see, very important, because this is a very foreshadowing of what we now experience in the new covenant. You see, the inheritance of the old covenant was about the flesh. It was about blessings in the flesh. It addressed the issues and concerns... Of the flesh, It benefited the issues and the desires of the flesh. And as I was describing the will of God earlier, I was describing it very well in context of the flesh. In most cases, people are thinking about what kind of a job they're going to have, where are they going to live, what kind of a home are they going to have, are they going to marry somebody or not marry somebody, are they going to eat the steak, chicken, or fish. These are issues of the flesh. And in most cases, when people are concerned with or discussing or asking questions about their life as a Christian, they're asking questions and having to deal with issues concerning the flesh. That's normally what this comes down to. But there is something entirely different about the new covenant. It is not like the old, as the prophet Jeremiah said. And this is one aspect of it, and that is the idea of an inheritance. Just as the inheritance under the Old Covenant addressed the issues of the flesh, the inheritance of the New Covenant has addressed the issues of the spirit, is addressing the issues of the heart, is addressing the very issues that you have deep within your very being. Not about your flesh, but about you, about who you are, about who your God is, and about your ability to actually know your God. You see, according to the Old Covenant, according to the inheritance that was given, according to the blessings that were promised, according to all those things, there was no provision at all for actually knowing your God. Not one command was given, not one law was given, nothing was given that suggested anything about a person, an Israelite, actually knowing their God. And yet we do have that at our disposal in context of the New Covenant. In context with the New Covenant, the primary focus, really, of the New Covenant is about knowing your God. That is the greatest part of the inheritance that we have received. We have received so much from our God as a result of his death for us. So much that if you were to pick up a concordance and go through the scriptures, just looking up the word have, H-A-V-E, you would perhaps be amazed at the things that you already have in Christ Jesus, that if you are born again of the Spirit of God, you have already received so much from Him, so much from Him that it is more than what you would ever need, more than you could ever handle in many respects. We have received everything that we need for life and godliness, for example, as described in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You have already received so much. You have received everything that you could possibly need. And that becomes the focus, or that is to become the focus of a Christian's life, is a discovery of what we have already received. Instead of focusing on trying to discover what the Lord is hopefully or perhaps wanting to give to us, you are to change your focus in maturing in your relationship with God. Change your focus from what you hope to obtain from your God, to resting in, discovering, and trusting in what you have already received from your God. And these things are not about the flesh. They are about the issues of the heart. They are about the issues of the spirit. This is a completely different focus that I really want to encourage you to consider and to pursue because your maturity, I sincerely believe, your maturity in your relationship with your God is not going to be about your acquiring things in your daily life from him. Your maturity is going to be defined and based on your discovery and your application of what you have already received from him. That is a major paradigm shift for many people to go through in order to begin to grow in their relationship with God and yet is critical, truly is critical for them to begin to grow and mature in the relationship that they have now entered into with their God. Consider Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That is how you are to live. You are not to live with hopes that you might figure out what he wants you to do or what he desires for you. You are to live in accordance with what you have been freely given, what has been freely given to you by your God. That is your daily life. For example, you have received forgiveness. There are many Christians who are totally consumed on a daily basis with trying to obtain forgiveness for their sins, with trying to obtain forgiveness from God. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, this is Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Again, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In First John chapter 2, verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation "...for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world." You have forgiveness of sins. This is something that you have. And this is something that many Christians do not sincerely believe that they already have. They are devoting a significant amount of their life trying to obtain that which they already have. And this distracts many believers and consumes a lot of their time away from what they could be doing, living in accordance with what they have as opposed to what they are trying to obtain. This is what you already have if you are a believer, if you are in Christ Jesus. You have the forgiveness of sins. Now many of you might be thinking, well of course I have the forgiveness of sins. I hear that all the time at the church that I go to or the churches that I have been at. Most Christians will acknowledge that they have been forgiven by God. That's not the issue. The issue is that there are many other things that they also believe that contradicts this reality, that contradicts this truth, and they normally don't see it. They normally don't understand that what they are believing in addition to this contradicts and conflicts with this fundamental truth. And so if a person does not really understand what they have, then there's no way that they can apply that in their life in a real and in a practical way. There is no way that they are going to experience, for example, there is no way that they are going to be able to experience forgiving others as God has forgiven them. And that's just one small example of how the will of God, the inheritance that is described within the will of God, has given to you something that is extremely powerful, that is extremely real, that will enable you to walk and live in your daily life in a way that will totally transform everything about who you are, everything about how you live, and everything about how you interact with the world around you. Understanding your inheritance is key to growing in your faith. It is key to opening up many doors to walk in and walk through and walk beyond that has to do with developing your relationship with your God in terms of what he has already given to you and in terms of what he has for you to do in light of what you have. And I will continue on this subject in the next broadcast.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.